I'd like to welcome to the show, director of the upcoming Amazon original film, Coming to America, Mr. Craig Brewer. How are you today, sir? I am good, sir. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, you're in Memphis, right? I I, I am, and, uh, as evidenced by my, by my t-shirt that I would love to say that I wore for this occasion, but really... In the time of COVID, I don't think I've worn anything else. I just, I just keep wearing t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. My, same daughter, my daughter was like, dad, didn't you wear that yeah. yesterday? I was like, oh, honey, this has been this week's shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I know, I know you, I know you have a history with Sundance and that's what we've been, Ricky and I've been doing the past week. So it's, it's staying up late, going to bed, waking up, just going right back at it. Not changing yeah. nothing, at least I, for me. Yeah, I, I've been seeing all. You know, it's it's been wild to watch how they've been doing Sundance during during COVID, and mm-hmm. uh, um, it's it's just really wild because I sometimes think about that experience that I had, and I just wonder. You know, I wonder if that's ever going to happen again. And I, I, don't, I don't mean in relation to like, oh, nothing could top hustle and flow. That's not what I mean by that. It's just like there, there was this time where you dreamed about taking your movie to Sundance and then there was a, a you know, somebody would buy it and then your career would start. And I was really fortunate that that exact dream scenario happened to me. But I'm, I'm just questioning whether we completely live in that world anymore even with or without the whole pandemic you know mm-hmm. so uh it's it's interesting whenever i hear about things that are coming out of sundance or that excitement that someone saw something at sundance or something really took off you know yeah, yeah. for me like personally like we watched a bunch of films and like we were talking about earlier i rewatched on the count of three and we we're like has this not been bought yet it's been crazy because the amounts of films that have not been bought, like there's, I think there's only maybe a handful that have been purchased so far mm-hmm. coming out of Sundance. And that's kind of like the different, by now, I think like we're at the end of Sundance, films are winning awards from Sundance. Like a lot of these would have already been picked up pre, uh, you know, pandemic. Yeah. And well, I think what happens is, and I, I watched it firsthand is that there really is, a party excitement that happens at Sundance, which shouldn't be discounted because of some kind of, of atmosphere that, you know, going to a movie theater is like, there's an excitement that happens in the room where, where buyers for studios and distributors are like, we got to have that movie. You know, that, that movie's like perfect for what we need to do and, or, or, or what we can sell. Um, uh, I, I don't know if that same type of party atmosphere is happening or not. I, and and I, I could be wrong. I haven't been like following it all that much. But I mean, I remember everybody passing on Hustle and Flow when, when John Singleton and, and Stephanie Elaine was taking it around town. Um, but to watch the bidding war of Hustle and Flow happen at Sundance after a, a spectacular, like, I mean, I've, I've never, I've bumped into so many people that said I was in the room that night when Hustle premiered for the first time and it was electric. I mean, I, I've, I've never experienced anything, you know, quite like it since. And I think that that had a lot to do with the fact that, that it, it sold for such a big, it had, it's had such a big sale and then just a lot of buzz off of it. And I, I just wonder if that's still happening. Yeah, because if you think about that, like you, even as a, like a film person, like I just sit there, I'm like, man, that moment, 
would have been like a standing ovation, right? You know what I mean? Like at home, I'm like watching, I'm like, man, that was a moment, right? And that's a, the collective like roar of the crowd of, you know, saying that's a great film, like even with Hustle and Flow, like, I mean, that's still one of my all time favorite movies. It is, it's just, it's a great film. It's a, it's, I don't, I've never, I don't think personally I've ever seen anything like that film since that film. And it's, it's, it blows my mind still. And I told you like off the air before we joined, I was like, I could talk about Hustle and Flow for probably 5,000 hours, but you know, I don't want to take all your time tonight. So um, I never but- get tired of talking about that movie. It's been <laughs> on my mind a lot lately, uh, it, just with, with John passing and, and, uh, and just, uh, you know, I'm now, I'm now in a time in my life where I've got, you know, I got a, I got a 19 year old son who uh, is really into Memphis rap. And he'll get in my car sometimes and I'll just tell him, DJ, you know, just go on your phone and DJ what we're listening to and be like, man, who is this? And he'll, he'll bring up some rapper, some local Memphis rapper. And I was just like, I don't know any of these cats. You know, I thought I knew everybody back in the day with like three, you know, and and Yo Gotti. But now like there's a whole new group, (laughs) you know, that's coming up and it's just made me think like, you know, it, it just never goes away. There's still going to be cats that are going into their own home studios and, and, and making music, you know, any way that they can. And, and it just keeps happening over and over again, every, every new generation. I love it. What like got you into filmmaking? What got you into films? Um, you know, was there a specific film? Was it just the, the essence of making film or what was kind of that like factor that you said that made you say, I want to do this? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, that was that was the big moment for me. And it, it's kind of fun. Um, you know, you, you, uh, Jake, we found out we're related. And mm-hmm. so this is, uh, this is another cousin of yours. So this is uh, my mom, Gail. Um, uh, her and my, my dad, who were, were both from uh, Rossville, Tennessee or Fisherville, mm-hmm. Tennessee, which is where yeah. uh, Mark Thronberry is from. They, uh, they made a point to try to get out of Tennessee. You know, they just uh, were young and idealistic and they wanted to, to move away. And um, so we, we lived in um, California for a lot of my childhood uh, uh, in Northern California in a place called Vallejo. And, um, and I remember we, we didn't really have a lot of, um, of money. You know, my dad was just starting uh, his new job out. You know, he's been, he was in the army. So we traveled around a lot. And um, me and all my buddies, I, th- I'm, I can't remember, you know, I may have been like, you know, first or second grade right around there. But like me and my buddies were really into Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I was just absolutely hell bent on being, uh, an archaeologist because it looks so it looks so sexy you know you mm-hmm. got to hang out with Miriam and and, and kill Nazis and and just, <laughs> to me that's what archaeology was all about <laughs> you know it wasn't you know hours and hours on your knees you know <laughs> and then going oh I can see that this is obviously from the crustacean area of it you know it's like you, it, it, no it was it was Harrison Ford swinging from uh, the well of salts so um, I, I remember this moment, but I, I had all my friends over and I was like, are you all coming to my birthday party? They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and then I said, uh, and, and, and we're, and we're going to have a Raiders of the Lost Ark cake. And this was news to my mom. She did not know about this. 
Um, <laughs> and now looking back, I can kind of, I can kind of know what was happening, which is like, I mean, I'm a parent myself, like where I've been put in these situations, like, well, what the hell is a Raiders of the Lost Ark cake? Like, you know, is she going to have to make like a Ark of the Covenant and cover it with gold frosting? I mean, like, what is a Raiders of the Lost Ark cake? Um, so I get, I, I sometimes get emotional thinking about this because I can just see my mom, you know, young, first time mom and, mm-hmm. you know, what am I going to do? And like my kid just announced it to all these other kids. And so <laughs> it was the great, it was, the, it was the big moment, you know, for let's all sing happy birthday. <clears throat> and my mom brings out this cake and it's a basic rectangular uh, pan cake. You know, the kind you mm-hmm. put it in the pan mm-hmm. and then you flip it over and then you just cover it in frosting yeah it was the most boring looking rectangle cake with blue icing i'll never forget that blue icing that you ever seen but covered in saran wrap and laying perfectly on top of it was something that i had never experienced yet which was and you can probably still find this on ebay and i would highly recommend you get it if you can find it but it was the raiders of the lost ark script and storyboard booklet Mm. that had a fantastic cover on the front of it, but it was laying there on top of the cake. And I was just like, what is this? So we brought the candles and we all took it out. And and I I remember kind of like me going like, like, what what is this? What is this book? Like, what is this tome of, and my dad and my mom telling me, it's like, this is how movies get made. Somebody wrote, all the dialogue. And I'm like, I know, here's, I, I know this line. I remember when he said that line. I remember when she said that, line. oh my God, there's the line, you know? But then there were these storyboards in it, you know? And it had the whole truck scene figured awesome. out, you know? And, and I just remember mm-hmm. being obsessed with this book and this booklet. And then eventually the making of Raiders of the Lost Ark came out, which was a big move. So, uh, and, and that triggered a bunch of other, like, I, I, it, it, was the, it was the early days of film nerd. For, for not only myself, but I think for a lot of film nerds, you know, because you could rent movies in the 80s and then movie magazines like Starlog and, and you know, I mean, it was just, you, you, you could find each other. You knew, are you into movies? Do you know about Starlog? You know, I, I remember the first time, not to go on a tangent here, but I remember reading and I have often wanted to find the Starlog because I remember reading that there was like a story that George Lucas had long ago about Anakin Skywalker. This is before the prequels, like way before. I think this is before Empire Strikes Back came out, um, where he was talking about how Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker were fighting on a, on a volcano. And they, and they both fell in and one came out and that, and that was all that was said. So I remember that being teased like very early on. So then when, you know, the big reveal happened, I was like, Oh my God, I read that in Starlog. So, so there was a, there was a, a, a wave of sudden, like my dad was like interested in how movies were made, but he was also really interested in movies. So it was a film festival around my house. And so like on the same day that like my dad would maybe rent chariots of fire He also rented Kentucky Fried Movie because we saw Michael Jackson and John Landis talking about Kentucky Fried Movie in the making of Thriller that he had rented the week before. So it's like my poor little sister, you know, she's in there. I don't know if you've ever seen Kentucky Fried Movie, but um, 
it's hilarious and <laughs> completely inappropriate. Yeah. Um, but there's this one skit called high school girls and Catholic high school girls in trouble. And I've never seen so much nudity and humor <laughs> at the same time. And so like, there I am watching like this very restrained British movie about, you know, running and through the, through the waves with Vangelis playing in the background, followed, <laughs> you know, by Catholic high school girls in trouble. And it, it, it just, it, you couldn't help but just be inspired every day, you know? So that, that's really like when I first started thinking about uh, being in movies. And then I was, you know, uh, uh, my granddad, as you know, was a famous baseball player. So, and then because I come from Tennessee, everybody's like really like crazy about the uh, the balls. And my dad went to UT and everything like that. So there's tons of pictures, baby pictures of me dressed up in orange with, you know, a football mm -hmm. jersey or something like that. And so I, I was expected to do sports, but I was terrible at it. And so um, the way that I could really meet girls was to go into children's theater. And, and so I, I, I just was raised acting in shows and sometimes writing skits and doing a lot of improv. And then that just kind of led to me writing plays in high school uh, and then eventually writing and directing, uh, like sometimes acting in one man shows and stuff like that in the, in the Bay Area. And then when my granddad, Marv died and my other granddad, Gene died on like the same, like basically a year and a half apart from each other, uh, I decided it was time for me to move back to Memphis and I moved into my grandmother's house and and then started making movies on a, a video camera you know back in the back in the mid 90s yeah that's interesting um yeah I mean well speaking you know from making video cameras in the mid 90s to you know now you're about to do coming to America a sequel of probably one of the one of the most well-known um at least from what I've seen comedy films uh and especially Eddie Mur uh, Eddie Murphy um you know speaking of Eddie Murphy you just got done doing a movie with him Dolomite is my name and I feel like that kind of put him back on the map after a few years where he was kind of stagnant you know what when did you meet and how did you meet Eddie Murphy and you know how did that come into place and kind of how did that work into doing coming to America well, I uh, had a, a I've had a long relationship working with uh, Paramount Pictures, and there was um, for a moment uh, a time where Paramount was really wanting to get heavily into animation, and there was a project that um, the, the then head of the studio Adam Goodman was working on called Bodacious, and it was it's, it's based on a real bucking bull um, that was unwritable like so many people were thrown from this bowl and, 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 you know, no, nobody could ride bodacious and Eddie Murphy came up with an idea about let's do a, let's do a movie about bodacious, but you know, he's like this, this bull, he's like a champion bull. They retire him. He goes out to pasture. He keeps, you know, he goes on speed dating with all these heifers, you know, and, uh, and then, and then one day, um, you know, he starts having, babies but they're all girls and he's wanting a bull and finally he gets that one bull but the bull isn't really that interested in being a, a you know a, a bucking bull he wants to dance because <laughs> he saw one of the the, the, the halftime shows you know with all the, the mm -hmm. dogs and the monkeys on their back and everything like that and so i you know adam said well i want you to go over to eddie's house and i was like 
Eddie, Eddie Murphy's house. <laughs> You're going to have a great time. Just talk to him about this animated movie. So I remember going over and talking to Eddie and, and um, we didn't really talk about the movie at all because um, he had seen Hustle and he really liked Hustle, but he had a guitar in his hand the whole time. And we, and he was just playing. And so we just got to talking about music and musicians and, and, uh, and that was how we, we kind of connected. So then when my agent called me a couple of years later and said, you know, do you know who Rudy Ray Moore is? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know who Rudy Ray Moore is. I've, I've watched Dolomite, Human Tornado and, you know, uh, uh, uh disco godfather and you know i've got i I collect vinyl so i had a lot of those records of that that rudy did back in the day and uh he said well you know larry karaszewski and scott alexander who you know great writing team uh who who, who's done like ed wood and people versus larry flint well i I became good friends with larry karaszewski uh here in memphis because he would come to our film festival here so i was like look i'm interested if this is a if this is a an offer that's going out there to the world of directors, just know that I know how to do this movie. And, uh, and so met with Eddie and everybody and, and, um, and we got to get going the, but the, the, you know, where, where the rubber hits the road is like, can you, can you work together? You know, mm-hmm. there's great meetings <laughs> and there's yeah. great, there's great lunches that you can have with an actor, but uh, it's, it's really about uh, can you work with them? And, and luckily uh, I think I had just been put through such a, you know, arduous couple of years working on Empire. You know, I, I, I'd done 10 episodes of Empire and I felt kind of strong, like I was cut out of wood to kind of deal with any, <clears throat> any um, scenario at all. And, uh, and Eddie and I just had a good, good way of communicating. I keep things very very light on my sets. I play music and usually it's a lot of soul music and a lot of rhythm and blues. And he really loved all that. And, and, and it was coming out of that, that movie that he was like, let's, let's do coming to America. And, and that's, that's where we are. So whenever, obviously it's, it's Eddie Murphy and, and even with working with Dolomite, do you, and then as, as popular as coming to America is, did you feel any pressure with this film coming to him, the, you know, the sequel coming to America to try to recapture any of the, that 1983, you know, 90, 1988 film where it's so like, it, you're, you're touching on uh, touching, you know, base there, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the film oh, yeah. is very iconic, right? And you're coming and you're making a follow-up to that film. Was there any pressure in your, in your feel, in your shoes, taking on that role? Oh, yeah (laughs) i mean i think that part of what gets you the gig um is uh is is knowing that you could make a a a great movie and it doesn't matter someone's not gonna like that you did it um uh i i will never forget this moment i haven't thought about this in a long time is when my first movie uh was going the film festival circuit. And, and, and this is before Hustle and Flow. This is a movie I made here in Memphis called The Poor and Hungry. And one of the judges at the St. Louis Film Festival was, uh, was James Gunn. Oh, wow. um, and this was obviously way before Guardians, 
Um, I think he had just maybe written Scooby-Doo, but I knew him through his work with like Tromeo and Juliet and like, you know, some of his like early kind of more delightfully vulgar stuff. Um, and he was just a great guy. Uh, uh, cool back then, he's cool now. Uh, but I was in the elevator with him <clears throat> and we were all kind of hanging out and drinking, you know, the, 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 the judges and the, and the filmmakers because the St. Louis Film Festival, they choose like six filmmakers as like, the, the the new filmmakers that are coming out they just show the, the, those six films that's it and then they make kind of a big thing around it with the judges and everything but it's kind of like this party and i'm in the elevator with him and he goes and, he's, and he just got to the phone and he's just like damn it and i was like well, what's going on and he goes well you know they want me to do they want me to do Dawn of the Dead. It was Dawn, right? Wait, is it? Wait, he. I think, which one did he write? I think it was Dawn. Is is that the one that that that, that Zach directed? Am I getting my I night so. with Dawn? Mm, yeah. Because okay. um, they want me to 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 do it. They want me to write it. And yeah, I Dawn know, of the Dead. Yeah, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. He, I, he goes. I know every one of my friends is going to give me shit about it. Everyone is going to say you can't redo that you know you it's it's precious even 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 movies that um are kind of guerrilla uh like low budget or or flawed people love those movies and they don't want to ever see them reinterpreted or anything and and i was like well what do you what do you got on there we're in the elevator it's just like the two of us and i go well what are you gonna do about that and he goes well i i i think i need to do it and, and I couldn't help it. I was like one of those guys going like, I don't know if you can do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, that's, that's some sacred ground. But he said something that really stayed with me. And it stayed with me when I was like thinking about doing, when, when, when Paramount wanted me to redo Footloose and everything. He was like, they're going to make it no matter what. I think that I should be a part of it because I love it. Mm-hmm. And I think that I could perhaps care for it and make it as good as I can make it and not just think of it just as a, as a paycheck. Um, and I'll never forget being in a theater watching Dawn of the Dead and that whole amazing opening yeah. that we had. I and loved it. I was the only one that kind of like, <laughs> you know, I was like, he did it. <laughs> you know, he's totally rocking this movie, you know? And, and so uh, there's always that kind of intense pressure on anybody i the, the one person i've been wanting to talk to and i know you you guys are probably thinking like well of course you're going to want to talk to him but like i've been really interested to talk to jj abrams mm-hmm. about about his whole star wars star trek uh experience because you 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 just inherit baggage that isn't even yours you know um, it's part of the franchise or it's part of the story um and it's hard to to you, you can't just say that every single decision that's made is, is JJ's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and yet at the same time, if there's anything to blame, then it's going to be like laid on him. If there's anything to praise, it's probably going to be given to him. But for something like coming to America, I remember, you know, uh, Jody Williams, who was the director of photography on it. We worked together on empire. I remember we were on a, on a bus, you know, just going around to different locations. And we finally talked about just exactly what you just said. Like, how are we going to deal with this pressure? And he goes, I know, man. And he goes, it's Black Star Wars. And I was like, it is Black Star Wars. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
I think he. It's all right. Oh. Are you guys there? Yep. Okay. Can you yeah, see? Yep. Me? Yep. We oh, lost you for a second. Froze up for a brief moment. No, you're fine. I, I don't know that's that's why they made editing, right? <laughs> yep. Right. That's All right. about that. Uh, where where did I freeze? Uh, Black what? Star Wars. <laughs> My new movie that's coming out. <laughs> uh, Starring Terrence Howard, Eddie Murphy, and <laughs> right, right. Um. It, you know, he said, it's Black Star Wars. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It comes with all this love and all this worry of whether or not we're going to mess it up. So uh, every day we were, we were aware of it, but we, we didn't let it, um, we didn't let it stop us uh, because uh, kind of what James Gunn said, like I, I had tremendous love for the first movie. Uh, all those movies you know, early, you know, from the early eighties on, especially, especially John Landis movies, you know, Blues Brothers was a really big, important movie to me. Uh, uh, Trading Places, you know, um, it, 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 the, the musical rhythms of those movies and how music is used um, had a big influence on me, you know? And so uh, I, I wanted to see if I could, I could do some of the same things. It's, it's a little tricky these days, not all of the kind of humor that was in 1988 completely works as much as you can watch that movie and laugh your ass off, but it doesn't necessarily mean that a, that a modern audience is going to, is going to be down with everything. So we were kind of always on this, like, I remember having these conversations about like the comedic curve of like on one end of it is like airplane, you know, where things can be so arch and so over the top, but that's part of what works with it. But then you kind of like move through the spectrum. And, and I would say that like Anchorman's in there, you know what I mean? Like, it, and, and then eventually you're going to start getting into like Judd Apatow, which is like, well, no, it's just friends talking. I mean, it's not like it's kind of like over the top, but maybe the scenarios might be a little bit here and there. And then moving into, you know, uh, uh, comedies that are just more adult fare, like Woody Allen and, and so forth, like things that are just going to have to be a little bit more cerebral. And so it was just like trying to find out, like, well, where does coming to America in 2021 land, you know, and, 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 and where, where are people going to be? But I will say that the, that the one thing that saved us with every uh, question and decision was on the day, things were just hilarious. Um, but but there's also a, a lot of heart that we had to service with the movie because people are emotional about coming to America. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it's, it means a lot to them. And we wanted to make sure that we serviced that as well, that we, that we wanted people to actually be somewhat moved watching the movie because uh, you can, you can tire from jokes after a good 30 minutes and then you need something to hang your hat on a little bit more to get, to get involved. Absolutely. So you got the phone call in August or prior to August, I'm assuming that the film was going to be transitioned from being shown in theaters for the most part. And it was purchased by Amazon. Did that, what was that like for you? Did that kind of change your perspective on anything? Obviously, I mean, the movie's probably already shot. It's already done and stuff like that. But how was your reaction to that? It, it's such a, a roller coaster ride because I was I had to edit all of coming to America remotely, which means I'd be on a Zoom call like this with my editor. I couldn't even be in the same room with her, and 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 so it was uh, 
It's a very difficult, long process where every, where there was probably about like a dozen movies that, that were, that were in this zone of supposed to be coming out, but dealing with uh, COVID and trying to figure out how to move forward. You know, there was West Side Story, there's Bond, you know, Wonder Woman was one of those movies. You know, it's just, there, there was a lot of them that had, had been in various stages and, and we began to hear from one another. It's like, wait, did, you, did they get, did, did, did Top Gun get to test with an audience? Oh, it did, oh, good, good. Oh, wait a minute, how the hell are we going to test a comedy <laughs> when we can't even put 300 people in the room and even if we did put people in the room, uh, one person's way over on that side of the theater, one person's on this side of the theater. So it's very hard to, to test. So <clears throat> with all of the, the, cur- the learning curve of, of, of trying to make it work and make it happen, we finally got to a place where it was, where it was really good and, and, and it was testing well and, and, and people were enjoying it. And, and then it was like, kind of the bummer started to set in of like, okay, but when? Because more and more movies started to get kicked down the, the, the curb a little bit. You know, it's like, all right, well, summer movies will go to Christmas. And then like we started getting closer to Christmas and it's like, well, no, there's not really gonna be a Christmas. And so how about Christmas moves to summer of next year? So when the Amazon offer came in, um, <clears throat> it was a little bittersweet because I don't know. I, I've always wanted to. <laughs> I'll admit to this. I've always wanted to have like a blockbuster. You know what I mean? I've never, I've never quite had one. You know, I've, I've had movies that have had, you know, really great runs and everything, but I've never had that thing where it's like everybody in America on the opening weekends going out to see Coming to America, right? Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, we we filmed it to to be an experience for for everybody who loves coming to America to be in a theater and laughing and, and, and being infected by the people around them and laughing and shouting at the screen. Like we, we, I love movie. I live in Memphis. This is how we, we consume movies. We get involved. We bring the kids, even if it's an inappropriate movie, you know, I mean, it's, it's not a, a tame affair, right? It's a party. So it's a party. That's what yeah. you go to the movie theaters for. Some people don't like to go to movie theaters because of that party. Yeah. Um, I like it to be that kind of a party, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so to know that that wasn't going to happen uh, bummed me out. But then something started to happen that really changed my my mind on it, which was a lot of people started reaching out to me saying how grateful that, that they were, that it was coming out uh, on Amazon. Because as much as there's people like us that love to go to movie theaters and, and love, you know, a, a wide range of, of films and, 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 and like to go to the theater to experience those films, then there's the rest of the, the world, which they just want to be entertained and they want to, or they want to be uh, engaged with whatever type of movie it is, but they want to see it. They want access to it. And a lot of people were telling me that they really needed it, <laughs> you know, that, that there hasn't been like a good, fun, comedic, let's see some old faces that we haven't seen in a long time movie. And my, my, my attitude about it coming out shifted where it's like, well, wait a minute, this now means grandma, mom, my kids, like everybody could experience it now 
and not be into this weird thing of like, okay, are we going to, do we, do we mask up? Are we going to this theater that'll allow like 20% capacity and everything? Everybody could just get together. Who's part of their bubble. Yeah. Watch coming to America on Tuesday night, watch coming to America Wednesday night. Like, it's like, ah, oh, I can contribute to some of the things that I've been experiencing. Cause I don't know about you guys, but I've kind of enjoyed when a new movie comes out on a mm-hmm. streaming service while I've been in, uh, in, 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 in the quarantine world to some extent. I mean, like, I don't know if I would have ever seen that Kevin Costner, Diane Lane movie, uh, let him go. Fantastic movie. And it's so good. Right. Yes. Leslie Manville is the, is she still scares me. I think she's still she's much so wonderful in the movie. I, I don't think I would have gone to a theater Uh, to have have seen it under normal uh, circumstances. But it was something new. I called over like my father-in-law. We got, you know, I got the grownups together. We (laughs) got popcorn and we watched this movie. And I'm finding that I'm doing it now a lot more. And I I think there's a lot of questions as to what that's going to mean to movies going forward. Uh, I'm not a poo-pooer on it because I think, you know, there's there's a lot of advantages to the fact that on March 5th, coming to America will be playing to millions of people globally all at the same time, you know, and that's something that is unique, especially in the world we're in. Um, Yeah. And, you know, that's so important and, you know, it might not be that money blockbuster that you wanted, but it, it is kind of important that, you know, like you said, millions of people are going to be seeing it kind of on the day of it should be, you know, a big party for everyone who kind of needs it in this moment. Um, And, you know, coming to America is great, but speaking of kind of your breakout, I would say hustle and flow, how did that kind of story come to be? And how did that movie, you know, start its rise up into what became a very, you know, well-received on almost every level uh, film. Well, it's uh, it's an interesting story with Hustle and Flow because it's, um, you know, it is one of those rare situations where what the movie was about was kind of like how we made the, the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, moved here to Memphis. I was working at Barnes and Noble and um, <clears throat> I was writing scripts at this bar here in Memphis called the P and H cafe mm-hmm. uh, till late at night. And, and I, I wrote my first movie and I sent it off to my dad, who was always like a really big supporter of, of me. And, uh, and he really loved the, the script It was called the poor and hungry. And um, it was about car thieves in Memphis falling in love this one car thief who fell in love with one of his victims and she was a cello player. And so it had a lot of classical music in it. Um, But uh, my dad uh, died suddenly. Like it was, he he wasn't sick or anything. He, he he never had any health problems and he was, he's, he's my age now. So I am now 49 and it's, it's on my mind, gentlemen. It's on my mind. Uh, But I got about $20,000 of inheritance from my mom to, to use how I wanted to use. And she encouraged me to maybe make that movie that, uh, that my dad had read. So uh, we're, you know, at the time my wife, we had 
her brother and sister were living with her with us and we were in this like kind of like rundown house in memphis and we were making that movie by hook or crook you know we were editing it in our little house and uh, making our own lights and 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 getting local strippers and 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 prostitutes and car thieves and musicians and rappers and city officials to all be in this movie. And, and we wanted it to be a meaningful movie, you know? Um, so when we made the movie, it, it, it won the Hollywood film festival and um, Stephanie Elaine um, was a, was a big champion of it. She saw the movie, but then she asked like, well, what do you, what do you have next? And I was like, well, <clears throat> I've actually written a sequel um, to poor and hungry. The ampersands were really big in, 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 in this whole idea and it's hustle and flow. And it, and it was going to take place in the same world as the, the kind of the, the Memphis underworld to some extent, but it's a little bit too dark uh, than, than what I mean, but it's like uh, people who probably do crime, but I don't sensationalize it all that much. I try to make it more tedious and more normal. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and focus on other things with it. And, and so the, the movie really, Hustle and Flow was about me making that first film mm. and, and that first movie. Um, even down to it, there's a scene in the movie where Terrence Howard has his gold watch. Um, and uh, that was my dad's watch that he got for 25 years working in, in shipping. It was on him when he died and I, I wear it all the time. And, uh, it, you know, so it was a very personal, Hustle was a very personal story. But, but nobody wanted to do it. You know, uh, they loved it. They loved the script. Uh, they didn't, you know, they were worried about the pimp of it all. And I tried to explain to them all. It's like, I, I, you know, I really don't want to do a pimp the way I've seen it in movies. You know, I don't want him covered in silks, rings and walk with a cane, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I want it to be a little bit more like the pimps that I've known, which they're a little bit more pathetic. You know, they, they're, they're driving, ladies from different clubs and and it's it's not as uh, uh appealing or, or sexy as superfly makes it you know <laughs> and uh and the person who, who got that and understood it was was john singleton when he got it and where a lot of people had problems with me being white with it john did not john was very big on regional filmmaking uh he believed that he was not a black filmmaker Yes, he was a black filmmaker. Yes, he can tell you everything about African-American uh, cinema history and everything. But he really believed he was a South Central filmmaker. He believed that the rhythm, the music, the culture, the, uh, the characters that he was surrounded himself with uh, is what made his storytelling. And um, he believed, you know, he saw my first movie. Uh, he knew where I lived. He, he came to visit me. He saw how I rolled and he was like, this, this cat should do it, you know? And mm -hmm. he put his house up for collateral, uh, with the bank and he raised about $2 million of, of his own money. And we made hustle and flow and then it, it sold at Sundance. And so, you know, it was that it was, you know, we were, we were hoping just to get like a, walmart dvd deal like we were hoping that that hustle would just be that thing that you could walk into a walmart and get alongside of diary mad black woman and and uh you know various other dvd combos you know 
but then Sundance happened and, and then the Academy Awards happened and, and it went in, it went in a different way. And then, and now I find that it's just on television so much, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's really, it's really great to see uh, people commenting on, on Twitter. Like, Oh, I saw hustle for the first time the other day. And people were like, first time haven't you seen hustle and flow you know uh so it's 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 really been the the little engine that could you know mm-hmm. i mean uh I, I everybody that was involved in that movie from terrence howard and taraji henson i mean the other day i was seeing luda do you know i was seeing ludicrous doing something i was like man i i remember us talking to ludicrous to be in that movie for the first time and uh it's 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 a wild experience that's got us here but there was a lot of love that went into making the movie mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that actually transitions right into my next question. Uh, speaking of the Academy Awards, you know, they got pushed back this year. Um, they're going to be in a, a few months. Um, but of course, you know, Hustle and Flow got nominated for two. And the big one was Three Six Mafia winning their Oscar, um, which prompted probably one of my most iconic quotes of all time from Jon Stewart, where he said, for those of the, uh, you keeping at home, Three Six Mafia one, Martin Scorsese zero. Um, what was that moment for you? I mean, were you in attendance? Were you just watching it? Um, and then oh. also, like, on top of that, you know, how did Three Six, you know, get to be a part of the movie? Well, um, luckily, Three Six Mafia had already done some. I'll never forget. Uh, you know, when I when I brought up Three Six Mafia to John Singleton, he's like, "Oh yeah, man, we'll get we'll get Juicy and Paul involved." I was like, "Oh, you know who Three Six Mafia is?" And he's like. I'll never forget what he said. Oh yeah, we've made money together. <laughs> I was like, "What did you make money?" <laughs> and, and so we got this artist, um, a, a really great rapper in Memphis named Lachat, as well as Gangsta Boo, and you know they've been part of that hypnotized mind uh, camp, you know, along with Lord Infamous and um, you know Kupsanika and you know uh, the, the, uh, Fraser Boy, you know Lil White. There was this this group. That, that Juicy and Paul all kind of put together and made a bunch of albums uh, um, with these artists through Selecto Hits, which is a local um, uh, distributor here in, in, in Memphis that used to do church music and, and like country and then and suddenly became the place to go to do rap. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. so they, they had a very Memphis experience. They pivoted um, in a big way. Um, but... <clears throat> You know, John, uh, there's this, there's this really great story where where I, I, John flew into Memphis and I was going to take him over to, to Juicy and Paul's. Um, but, but I, I heard that, uh, that Juicy was going to give me a call and then I get a phone call he's like, what's up, man? And so I start talking to him about the movie. And I was like, so uh, did John tell you about it? No, man, I'm just calling. And I was like, oh, that's weird. He told me he talked to you about it. Uh, no, John Singleton. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, uh, no, I, I haven't talked to John Singleton. And then it dawned on me. And I'm not proud of this moment. That I wasn't talking to, to, to Juicy. Um, my friend Al Capone, who's another rapper, uh, had called. Um, and he had heard that I was doing this rap movie. And so I was like, oh, Al, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I totally thought you were Juicy J of Three Six Mafia. You know, you got to forgive me. And he goes, hey, man, let me just, if I could just have one shot. So literally while I picked up John at the airport, and while I'm driving him to Hypnotize Mind Camp, 
I pull over into the studio and I was like, I want you to meet my friend Al Capone. And Al Capone started playing music and, and, and John really loved it. And one of the, one of the songs was whoop that trick. But at the time, uh, it, it, John asked him, how did this song come about? And he goes, well, you know, I, I call it used to be called beat that bitch, but I was worried that people were going to think that I was talking about a woman when this is a tear the club up song where you're telling the guy is on the other side of the crowd, Hey, beat that bitch. And so I changed it to whoop that trick because I didn't want people to get confused. And John's mind just was blown. He was like, you got to put that in the script. It's like Terrence has got to start off saying it this way. And then they got to get him into the whoop that trick mode. So anyway, he buys like three songs off of Al right there. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> two of which three all three of which appeared in the movie um which is uh uh whoop that trick and then it ain't over for me which is like the third song that dj sings and then al capone also has a uh a song called get crunk that's that's over the the crystal palace um uh, skating rink parking lot scene with all the cars right uh -huh. so we drive over to juicy j's uh place and and juicy knew that uh john didn't want to pay him a lot of money for what we were calling the pimp song and it was like a song that that no one knew yet. We just knew we needed a song about about a pen writing. And um, and Juicy was all like, "And it's too too bad you guys aren't gonna like mess with me on that pimp song." And John's like, like "Hey man, it's just business, you know." <laughs> and Juicy goes, "Yeah, but let me let me play some for you." Juicy plays the beat right there of "Hard Out Here for a Pen," and pulls out a napkin from Neely's Barbecue. And, and there's lyrics written on it. And he, he sings the hook right there. You know, it's hard out here for a pimp. Does the whole hook. And I see John like, <laughs> like listening to the song. And I know what he said. He's like, we got to have this song. This is it. <laughs> and Juicy was like, yeah, but you got to get down in your pocket, man. You got to get down to the sock, you know, do some business. And, and so, and so then I go into one room with Frasier boy and I'm telling him the, the plot of the movie and he literally throws a bag of, of weed in front of me and he guts a cigar and takes out his pen and he's like, you crumble. All right. You know? And so there, there I am, you know, <laughs> kind of helping him roll a blunt as he writes an Academy award winning um, <laughs> song. Right. So in the next room, like Terrence and Taraji are recording the very song that we're, we're writing oh and God. I go into this one room and John is on one side of the room with his, his, his sidekick, you know, this old T-Mobile thing they, they had. Mm -hmm. And then, and Juicy was on his Blackberry and they were talking about what strip club they were going to go to that night. And, and then suddenly like, there'd be a bing and Juicy would be like, oh man, you're going to screw me on ringtones. You want my paper on ringtones? And John's like, man, just make an offer. Just make it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then Juicy would be like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay. How about that, John? Pick up. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll do that. They, they were doing the deal. I love the negotiation <laughs> happening on the phone. They're not verbalizing. I was like, this is the most Memphis thing I've ever been about. <laughs> this is oh, like, so I mean, you had the hustle of Juicy going like, here's the song. You had Fraser in here writing the lyrics, you know, while we're getting blazed. You got Terrence and, and Taraji in the next room singing it in this not fancy studio at all. It was a little, little thrown together, but this little thrown together studio produced some of the greatest rap music out of Memphis, right? And there's John and Juicy uh, 
doing a negotiation over their over their uh, devices while discussing <laughs> which shake joint to attend that night, and and then it wins an Academy Award. <laughs> but i remember when it when the nominations were announced um it said hard out here for a pen for hustle and flow and i knew right then we'd win it oh i was like i was like if we got nominated <laughs> we won it because mm-hmm. there were too many to- too many screenings i went to where little blue haired old ladies were like you know it's hard out here <laughs> i think that if you if you just are part of the movie and you watch something being created yeah. It becomes yeah. yours. You may not be into rap. Uh, just like I wasn't when I was 13, I wasn't into classical music. But when I saw Amadeus for the first time, mm-hmm. like I radically changed my opinion on classical music because mm-hmm. I was watching how he was in layers making that music. So if you see somebody in a film being passionate about something and working towards something, it just becomes a worm in your head. You can't get, get that out of your head. So I knew we'd won it once we, we were nominated. Yeah. Well, what about, you know, what about that night? You know, what, what was going through your mind, like hearing that you had just directed a song that had won an Academy Award, you know, like what was that feeling for you? You know, it was, it was a real special night because um, somebody who, who passed away uh, last couple of years uh, named Brad Gray and Brad Gray used to be the chairman. I believe that's the right title. Maybe, maybe not the head guy at Paramount. And he's the one that really bought Hustle and Flow. And he had um, tickets for him and uh, him and you know, him plus one to attend the Academy Awards, like row 10, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I remember him giving me tickets saying like, we wouldn't be at the Academy Awards if it wasn't for Hustle and Flow. And, and, and why don't you just take my tickets? And it, it was just this really special night of even Terrence, like, looking at me at the party going like, can you, can you believe we're here? You know, mm-hmm. can you believe that, that this is, you know, Terrence, you know, his career was not, you know, at the place really where it was mm-hmm. after Hustle and Flow. And we're still, we're still really good friends. You know, I mean, when I was, when I would direct on Empire, I remember the first time I directed on Empire, he started giving me shit about something and I started giving him shit back. And then we started like arguing and yelling at each other and the crew didn't know what to do because this is Terrence Howard. This is his show. <laughs> and, I, and, and I, and I go back to the video shouting something at him and we're not like that. I mean, we, we, anyway, and then Terrence sees the whole crew and he goes, Oh y'all listen, listen, I need, I need to make an announcement here. This is my brother, Craig, and this is how we do it. There's a lot of love here. So don't anybody get, afraid you know we're, we're cool <laughs> that was awesome <laughs> um so you mentioned uh let him go what are some other films that you wa- recently watched that you enjoyed um uh oh uh oh crap what's the name of that oh that carrie mulligan movie is so good Promising uh, uh, oh yes Young women's oh, like yes wildly good it deserves any 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 accolade that's coming its way um I, uh, oh, what was that other film that I just watched? Um, I, I like News of the World. Okay. You know, I thought, I thought I, you know, I, I think it's going to be different from what people are expecting. It reminded me more of kind of like a Jimmy Stewart Western from back in the day. Yeah. Um, uh, 
I have been watching uh, some really good TV. I, I, I got to be honest, like I was on the phone the other night um, with Lee Daniels and he turned me on to a show that I got to be honest, I didn't think that I would like. Um, it's on HBO Max, but it's uh, uh, Veneno. Hmm. I haven't, I haven't heard of it. I will Neither now. Neither did I, guys. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like, but then I, I found it, and it's basically a miniseries based off the true life of this trans prostitute in Spain that became kind of a television sensation. And it's her life and her whole arc. And it's the most epic thing I've ever seen. I'm watching it and just like, I, I don't know how they did some of what they did in there. I, I was like, I'm gonna, because Lee recommended it, I'm gonna watch episode one, cut to, you know, I am just like glue, I'm emotional, I'm crying at the end of episodes. And and I, I guess that's just what's so great about, about entertainment is here's, here's a movie or a show, excuse me, that is not my experience. I am not someone who's transitioned or, or, or been in a world of prostitution of, on the streets of, of, of Spain. And, and yet uh, I, I see, you know, when you experience just raw humanity, sometimes you can't help but just have empathy and, and, and you, 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 you now are connected to a world that you never would have given the time of day uh, in, in your normal day to day, you know? And, and that's what's beautiful about cinema in, in, in general is, is the whole notion that you're just in this dark theater or you're in your home and there's no real judgment. Like yep. no one's right there with you going like, are you crying over that? Are you, are you relating to that? You know? Um, it, it happens to me all the time where I'll see a movie and just go like, Oh my God, I can't believe that I'm this guy yeah. or this woman mm -hmm. or this old woman. Like why, why would, why would you have a, a, you know, any sort of connection to like an 80 year old woman? But yeah, but what she's saying is speaking to something that's in me right now and that I'm dealing with. And that's just the, that's, that's, I, that's why I think that movies and television like that, or those kind of stories are just never going to go away. The conveyor belt may change of how we, get it and how we how we uh um experience these stories but those stories are never going to go away yeah for yeah. me like the the connection like uh, i watched the father with anthony hopkins and it's it's a brilliant film i've never been through anything that he went through this entire film and and the way zeller's told a story you can't help but like start saying oh my god like what if I was in Olivia Coleman's shoes? How would I handle that situation? How would I, you know, you start putting yourself. And then as you're doing that, as everything starts to transpire, you start getting emotional. And it's like, now you are Olivia Coleman. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah. it's like, you're this person. And it's like, you just start breaking down. And then by the end of the movie, you're crying. And it's like, I don't even know what happened, but I went down this rabbit hole and I couldn't get out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, during the pandemic, it's also been fun to take my, um, my 12 year old daughter and show her movies that I think that she would like, like, you know, what holds up ghost. I forgot oh. how damn entertaining ghost is. It's yeah. got everything. It's got action. It's got comedy. You cry in it. Like it's, it's, it, it's kind of one of those things that once somebody new sees it, just like they're, they're not the same. Like they just absolutely love mm -hmm. it. Um, but we did watch a new movie that was on. Well, I don't know if it's new, but have you guys seen uh, I Am Mother? Uh, it's the one with, um, oh my God, uh, man. 
Hillary Swank is in it, but it's uh it's it's like a, a kind of a sci-fi movie about uh, a a girl being raised by a robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. I've heard yeah. of it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. I, I I liked it. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess the transition actually from that uh, would go to what are you know what are some films that you would recommend you know, future filmmakers to watch, you know, what are some films that you watch to kind of take from those and try to put it into your own films? You know, it could be any time, you know, just some of your, I guess, favorite movies. Well, you know, I, I do have favorite movies that, you know, I, I can't escape They're everybody's favorite movies like Vertigo and Kane and Godfather and, you know, all those, but there, there's other movies that I, I sometimes tell people to watch when they want to be a filmmaker. Um, and at the top of the list um, is the movie that inspired me. Um, and, and, and I'm not talking about Raiders. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was trying to make my, my, my movie, The Poor and Hungry, I had, um, <clears throat> I had, I'd, I'd listened to a lot of people, you know, and one of the things that they're saying is like, well, you got to get the best camera, like get it, get a really good, this is back in like 1998. So, you know, we're, we're dealing with like not even digital technology, just like real high end, like beta. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I got with a professional cameraman is a very talented guy, but he had an enormous camera. He had a jib and he had track that you could put the jib on and move the camera. And, and I was like, wow, like, I don't have any of this and let's use it uh, for my movie about car thieves, you know, in Memphis, Tennessee. And, and what I, and what I learned was that um, the cameras don't make the, the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever somebody has filmed a new movie and they, they've come up to me, it's maybe their first and they go, you got to see my first movie. We filmed it on the red. I immediately am suspicious. Like I, I immediately know this is not going to be a pleasing movie when they lead with what camera they shot it on, because uh, I've been there. I, I had that big expensive camera and some sort of life was not happening. So I, I my father had just passed away, as I told you, and <clears throat> I got this money and I, and I decided I was going to go to Washington DC and hang out with my, my two best friends that, that I grew up with. And they wanted to go see a movie that night. And, and they were, they were talking about this movie called the celebration. And it was directed by Thomas Vintenberg. And it was probably the, either the first, maybe the first or second movie in what was referred to as the dogma 95 movement. And there was a poster outside the theater that explained what the Dogma 95 movement was. And what it was was like, I don't know if you guys remember this time in cinema, but like all these Danish filmmakers got together and said that they were getting tired of the way movies were starting to all look the same and feel the same. And they made these rules, this, this, this Dogma 95 set of rules that they wrote on a bar napkin. And one of the rules was like, uh, the director cannot be credited. Uh, uh, you can't use a tripod. 
um, or dollies or anything like that. You can't bring in lights. You can augment existing lights. Um, you can't use any score. You can use music that's there. If there's a piano, you can use that. Um, you can't do genre movies because if you shoot somebody, well, they're dead, you know, they're going to be shot, you know? Um, so I'm reading this and I'm like, why would anybody do this? Why would they do this to themselves? This is just ridiculous. And so I begrudgingly go into this movie about a, a family uh, a reunion that's happening. And it's shot on a one chip video camcorder. And I had a three chip beta camera with a jib and I had track. So to this movie, like <laughs> I'm, I'm already like, I'm, I'm walking in with attitude. Right. But then I see this movie that floors me that, that like made me laugh and gave me chills. And I came to the end of it and I was just like, I, I had my first like real punch to the face epiphany that, uh, I'm shooting my movie wrong. Wow. Uh, and I went home and I, I politely fired the cameraman and I never used a jib until black snake bone. Uh, I, you know, it was, it, I, I got a small video camera and I started lighting it myself with existing bulbs and, and, and my life changed after this movie. So I always tell people try to find this movie because um, I remember when, at Cannes, I think Spielberg was asked what his favorite movie of the year was. And he said, it's this movie, The Celebration. And it's because he knows. It's like, it's it, you, you remove all the tools. Can you tell a story? You know, and it's, it, it's, a, it's a great movie. So I would start there. I would say, um, I'm a big believer in seeing people's first films. Uh, I really love El Mariachi. And I, of course, read Robert Rodriguez's book on Rebel Without a Crew. Um, I'm a big believer in the movie called um, Mate Juan by, uh, by John Sayles. Um, uh, and then I can't say enough for, uh, you know, uh, African-American cinema, uh, which I think is some of the best cinema in the world because, uh, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Claudine um, with James Earl Jones and Diane Carroll, but uh, uh, it's it's an amazing family movie uh uh you know i i love spike's early movies like you know she's gotta have it but i i especially loved crooklyn i thought crooklyn was just like a masterful movie about like how you know just a family in a neighborhood and the dynamics so uh you know i try to steer people away from the big ones you know uh movie nerds that want to make movies my I, I can't i say that respectfully as as one of them but you know you grow up and you're like man i'm into the matrix i want to make the matrix and i was like okay yeah but have you seen bound have you seen the movie that the wachowskis tried to do to see if they could get the job to do the matrix like no i haven't seen that then they come back they're like oh my god bound is incredible it's like yeah but bound was made for like like kind of like one location you know it had this kind of a budget Try to find movies where the budget constraints and the opportunity constraints are really, really, you know, uh, small and constricting. And did they make a movie that, that, that stayed with you in spite of that? Those are the movies to be watching. You know, those are the movies to be learning from because 
once you get out there and you start making your own movies, that's when, it, and, and it never stops. I mean, don't think that just budget suddenly makes you stop thinking about these things or like making movies like coming to America. Like you're still, I mean, I, I, I can't tell you the, the more money and the more cast that you're getting, you're having to compromise and come up with so many ways to fix things or to do things um, that are much more reminiscent to my early days when I had nothing then it would be uh, to, to thinking that like, well, now you can just have anything you want. Thank you so much for your time, Craig, today. Thank you. I just, I am just in awe of, of your time today. I really am. Like I said, I, I Hustle and Flow is one of those first films for me that was like, you know, I want to create art. I want to create this type of filmmaking. And it's such a, it had an impact on me. Like I listened to the soundtrack consistently and I can't wait to see Coming to America March 5th on Amazon. Um, everybody, please watch it. And thank you so much for your time today. That was a lot yeah, of fun. Thank so Thanks for having me on here.